Welcome back to the Pathway Podcast. In this week's episode, college pastor Jack Cross will share about the importance of family during the Christmas season. It is good to be here this morning. There's a point in time this week I didn't think it was going to happen. <laughs> no, we've had, uh, speaking of family, um, my family spends their days in five different schools. And so when sickness comes around, you know, it's a high likelihood it comes around the cross house. Um, so we just got through with a bout of flu and strip. Um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, and I, Absolutely do not mean that. Um, anyway, so I hadn't been, I hadn't been sick like that in a, in a little while. Um, but we did get a chance to enjoy Thanksgiving in the midst of illnesses. And so, you know, a lot of sickness and Thanksgiving and sickness again. Uh, so that's kind of where we've been. And, and Thanksgiving, Christmas time is a, it's a great time to even talk about the subject of family. Um, I don't know what your family looks like. Uh, I don't know, kind of, kind of. I know that I, I know that I have worked with uh, in church ministry for quite a little while now, and so I get a chance to work with all kinds of different people from all kinds of different family backgrounds and hear kind of how different families function and work. Um, and <laughs> if your family has some dysfunction, um, let me just say it's okay. All right. Uh, if you've got some, some a little bit of dysfunction in your family, maybe a lot of dysfunction in your family, um, that I, you know, when I got ready to prepare, uh, prepare for this and, and to talk and, and spend some time in, in Scripture with this, um, that's something I came across pretty quick. And so I just wanted to let you know that you know you're probably in some some decent company, uh, some pretty good company. If you feel like, man, my family is crazy. Uh, for those of you who who even, yeah, that you come from the, from whether you're the, the dad or the mom, or maybe you are kind of even all the way to the top from matriarch, patriarch of a, of a clan now. Um, I, I know at least it's a new thing for me, uh, relatively new. I've uh, been doing it for a little bit, but uh, this idea where, where you try to have a, a vision and a thought for how things can or should go, right, amongst family. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, then the holidays happen and you're like, oh, you know, uh, and so you have this, this picture perfect idea of how things should and could work out and then rarely do they work out that way, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, we got a clip of a show that kind of, uh, man, it might take the cake or it, it epitomizes some of it. And so enjoy the clip for just a few minutes. <laughs> Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Oh, great. What, dear? Grace! Grace! She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing! Mm. 
I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. 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 Catherine, this turkey tastes half as good as it looks. I think we're all in for a very big treat. <laughs> Save the neck for me, Clark. Okay, Eddie. I don't know if your Thanksgiving or Christmas has ever gone that way, hopefully not quite, but some of you, you laugh because like, oh, Lord, <laughs> it's, it's too close to home. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, poor Clark trying to, trying to put together things, you know, just perfect and, and got the family around the table um, and we're going to enjoy a great, a great meal and yeah, it just doesn't quite go the way you think it should or could or whatever. Man, that's difficult. It is. It is. And I know that many of you are here this morning and you're worshiping with us and so you're at church and so even the hope of like, what do we, how, how do you handle family? What do we do with family? And um, even for some of you, you'd say like, hey, yes, I want a strong biblical family. And I understand what you're saying. Um, on the same sense, have you looked at the Bible <laughs> in some of the biblical families? You know, for instance, the, the patriarchs, you take Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, you got Abraham who slept with his wife's handmaiden, got her pregnant, and then after the fact decides that he's going to send his son and wife out, or his son and his mother off into the wilderness to die. So he sends Ishmael and Hagar, and they go. Why? Because his wife, Sarah, made him do it. So <clears throat> leading his house real well, right? You got Isaac. Isaac has a couple sons. Right? Jacob and Esau, which is kind of odd to say because normally you would say the older brother first. But in this case, the younger brother, Jacob, takes the birthright because he's a mama's boy. And, he and actually, he and his mother steal the birthright from the older brother. Which, not to say that he was perfect or deserved it either, but pretty shy stuff happened amongst the family. And then you got Jacob. Who doesn't stop in his part of this process because then he decides that he'd like to go and marry this beautiful lady. And he's, you know, trickery runs in the family, I guess. And so his uncle uh, tricks him into working for seven years. And then at the last minute on the wedding day, switches in a different bride, the older sister, the girl that he wasn't even attracted to, didn't really want to marry. And he gets married to her. How that even happens, it's even as I read the scripture, that's Kind of doesn't make a lot of sense, but hey, that's what happened. And so Jacob gets married to Leah. It's not really what he wanted. He makes that very apparent. That's starting off the marriage right. Um, <laughs> and so then he has to promise another seven years so he can marry the lady he really wants, Rachel. And so then between Leah and Rachel and two of their handmaids, Jacob has 12 sons. 
right? And so here we are in just a chaos of the people who started the foundation of the, the Christian faith. Their families were crazy. Because, oh, by the way, right? Ten of those brothers tried to kill one of the others, sent him off into slavery, acted like he died and didn't tell their dad for decades. A lot of fun, right? Oh, and by the way, we're halfway through Genesis. That's it. And I skipped Cain killing Abel, his brother. So if you've got some dysfunction within your family, um, and for us to even say sometimes where it's like, hey, you know, I, I want, I, are you just, <laughs> it's interesting. Because when I began to look at this, I started thinking about like, where's the, the strong nuclear family within scripture? I don't know if there is one at all. Because if you move past the patriarchs and get into the kings, man, they're not very good either. You take the strongest one, David, he didn't do things well. His family pretty chaotic in the end. You move on through it. But, but even then, like, you don't stop in the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to step out on a limb here, and, and I'll take you a direction real quick. But think about this. Jesus himself had some pretty crazy things to say about family. What about in Matthew 1037. Jesus says, if you love your son and daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. Back up to the front part of that verse. It actually starts off with, if you love your father and mother more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. Luke records that same set of teaching in Luke 14:26, and he actually uses the word that if you don't, by comparison, hate everyone else, you can't be my disciple. But, but he, he, he moves on to even describe that a little bit better and, and make it very clear. By everyone else, he means father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sister, yes, your very own life. That's pretty strong. And honestly... That's probably one of those times if you're his follower during that day and you're walking alongside him, you're like, Jesus, uh, do you got to say it that way? I mean, come on. But yes, he did. And those are harsh. Now, I say that. And let me back up just a little bit because I know that many of you are, have been around Scripture and, and you've been around it for a long time. And so you understand some of the, some of the context and the preface and all that kind of stuff. And so, but for those of you who, who maybe you don't, maybe that's the first time you've ever heard that Jesus kind of put it that harshly. And he did. And he, I, I don't want to pull the punches and act like he didn't mean to say that. He did. But the Bible teaches a whole lot about love. As a matter of fact, I threw a slide up together just to just kind of even give just a few. Because Jesus wasn't meaning that we shouldn't love our mother, father, brother, sister. That kind of thing. Man, there's so many good verses here. Uh, you know, with, within 1 Corinthians, you know, 16, 14, the first one there. It says, let all that you do be done in love. You know, there's, there's a lot of good ones there in John 3, 16. But then in 1 John 4, 8, it says, If anyone does not love, anyone does not love, does not know God, 
because God is love, right? We love because he first loved us. But then also, one of my favorite ones there is John 13, uh, 34 and 35. It says that a new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, how, do, how are we supposed to think about this? How, how are we, like, you take these these different places throughout Scripture and to see that, man, there's a lot of family dysfunction. There's a lot of things that kind of, that are difficult and tough. And, but the thing I know to be true is, in my family and in your family, there's, there's some tough stuff. And it's hard. It's hard to figure out how to, to live, how to work through that. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to think you know, I got a picture of my family here, and man, I love my family. But if if our, you know, this time of year, I know many of you take family photos, and this is actually just from one of ours last year. But um, you know, you, you take family photos, and I, you know, I think I got a beautiful family. I do. Uh, you try to capture that moment, right, um, where hey, everybody is dressed and matching, and smiling. I particularly chose this one because it kind of catches a little mix here where if you see the concern look on Grayson's face in the middle, our youngest, there's a combination of things happening here. Um, one, we have cried because we don't like the outfits that mom picked out for us to wear. Um, you know, that's happened. Um, Grayson's also in this moment, if I'm remembering correctly, he's terrified that those cows are going to get too close that are in the background. So he's also, you know, he's, he's constantly kind of looking over his shoulder, making sure the cows aren't going to get too close. Um, the other thing is the reason why Grayson ended up in the middle, because Tessa would have aesthetically looked much better in the yellow setting in the middle. Uh, Grayson was supposed to be on mom's shoulders, uh, except for Grayson was not having it. And so he cried until we just stuck him in the middle. Some stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason. Um, <laughs> and so... You know, here we go. Beautiful family picture with lots of crying and whining all the way until the shot where, thank goodness, Dom can take 20 shots in a few seconds and one of them, hopefully, somebody's smiling and everybody's looking at the camera, right? So, and I know all your families work that way. Um, I, I, maybe I'm wrong and maybe you guys have gotten to a maturity point where everybody just really shows up smiling on the best day and they love all the outfits that they're that they've been put in and hugging because they really do love one each other, not pinching each other or doing something else behind the scenes. Um, and pictures go great, and then you just kind of capture the moment and move on. I doubt it, right? It's a fight just to get to the point where it's like, here we are. Take this picture. Smile. You better look at the camera. If you don't smile right now, <laughs> that type, those type of conversations, I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. And, and that's kind of the point, too, where if what we are looking for is that picture-perfect family moment or the picture-perfect family in general, that's going to fail you every single time. And oftentimes, it's, it's a scary and sneaky piece 
To me, this is one of these things that, gosh, it's so hard. It's, it's, I know it to be true in my head, but to live it out is, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. Because I know that I should love my family. We should love our family. But if we're not careful, our love for our family will trump our love for God. And the perspective's off. And it ruins the whole thing. There's a set of scripture that kind of will take us that direction in Psalm 127. There's just five verses. It's part of a collection of, of chapters in Psalms that is, are songs of ascent. And so the songs of ascent are interesting. Uh, they all kind of have these, I mean, in English, we don't get the rhythm or the tune or any of that kind of stuff that the Hebrews had. But these songs were often sung headed to Jerusalem because three different times a year they would have to take a pilgrimage and, or people would take a pilgrimage and they would go and they would worship in the temple there. And so they would ascend because Israel is up on a hill and they would, they would go that direction. And there, there would be this collection of songs that were, have been collected that whether they traveled and sang them or whether they, you know, there happens to be 15 psalms there that are in, that, um, in those uh, songs of ascent and there's 15 steps up to the temple. And so whether they were saying kind of representation of both, uh, scholars kind of are back and forth. But either way, this is kind of something that every year in this time of year, this is what they would do. And they were songs just like what we sing in worship. Well, we sing these songs for a reason, right? Because they are to remind us of some truths. And that's a good thing for us to stop. And to, I mean, what we do on a weekly basis, we try to stop for just a little bit of time and say, God, we want to be reminded of these truths. And sometimes songs have this opportunity to articulate what we have been thinking but weren't able to kind of verbalize. Sometimes they, they say things that we're not really true. We're not sure if they're true, but we wish they were true. They're good for us, and, and these are the same kind of things. And so this was one of them, and he says in Psalm 127, 1, it says that unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. So, yes, you formulate a plan to build a home, to build a house, and, and you, you lay things out, and you need a good, you know, someone with a good contracting type mind that can bring in the different pieces and, 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 and be able to build a sound house. But the truth of it is, what, what God wanted for, for the people to remember, maybe it was possibly because they were headed to Jerusalem and they were going to see this beautiful temple that was going to be massive in their eyes. And what he needed them to know and remember is that, hey, look, as grand as this thing is, you need to understand that unless God builds it, unless God puts it together, unless God desires that it happens, unless he helps it happen, it's worthless. It's not going to work. And the same idea, too, with like the protection and guarding of it. Like, unless God helps protect and guard it, you can have the best armed guards you got, and it's not going to work. History has told us that, right? Temple's been burned a few different times. Knocked down, destroyed. Even though they've had, it's special to them, and they've always had it guarded. There could be a bigger, badder army. And so we continue to read right there, and it just says that, it's useless for you to work so hard early in the morning and late at night, anxious working for food to eat. For God gives rest 
to his loved ones. Now, as he's speaking, this is kind of the same similar setup where, where Jesus is talking about earlier um, that you should hate your brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and all that kind of stuff. Like, is God against work? And you working hard? No. But if, if you think that out of your energy and out of your effort and out of your hard work that you're going to put it all together and manage it well, no. No, it's, it's going to be useless. And then he takes a turn right here that almost seemingly, you know, if it wasn't in like a song like this, you could almost maybe say, well, like, did they split the chapters wrong or did they do something different? Except for they didn't, and this is part of it. I think it's interesting. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. Uh, I don't know if I've ever read it in this context and thought about it this way, but back when I was beginning to prepare for this family message, and I'm thinking about this, the songs of ascent and what that meant and what the pilgrimage meant to these families and these groups of clans that were headed up to Jerusalem to worship God. And one thing you need to always remember is that the, the idea of them going to the temple was not that Jerusalem itself, Jerusalem is special, but it's not only that Jerusalem was special, but what it really represented when they would go to the temple is that they were going to the presence of God. And so as the families are getting together and they're, they're going through the energy and effort of packing things up, and, and this is not, right, obviously they don't have cars and, and vehicles where they can just kind of load things in and six-hour road trip and, you know, that kind of thing. But, I mean, we're talking weeks of, of prep and travel time. And as they're doing all of that and headed to the, trying to take their family into the presence of God, it's special. <laughs> And you probably should remember that your children are a gift from the Lord. They are rewards from him, right? I don't know how many of you ever felt that way, you know. There's been times every once in a while I had to be reminded of that when we're taking a six-hour road trip on Thanksgiving or we're trying to pack everything up that involves with Christmas and going to be gone. It's like they are gifts from God, right, so that someone doesn't die, Um no, but, but that, that reality that they are a gift from God and children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame and he comforts his accusers at the city gates. You know, another piece of that may even be to um, a verse I came, came from. And so all you mamas out there that work really hard to try to keep your house clean and you never feel like it is, um, I thought this was a nice pairing that I came across, and this is almost even a side conversation, but Proverbs 14.4, um, it says, Without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. <laughs> I let that just kind of sink in with you. Uh, for those of you who, uh, you know, you feel like you got piles of stuff everywhere. Um, well, you probably wouldn't have all that if you didn't have kids. Um, on the same sense, you got kids and you got a big family, chances are you're going to have to clean the stables. Um, and that's just a byproduct of it. So, part of it. So, but what, what should we do? Right? The right perspective and the right thought is, hey, unless God builds it, it ain't coming together. It's useless. All the energy and all the effort, all my ability to try to protect and provide and, and take care of and build my family. Unless God does it, 
So what should we do? I think a lot of it can be found in the wisdom of something like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. That's one of those two that over the years, that's a easier to read than it is to actually practice. But not to trust in your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. There's another set of scripture and teaching right there, or not in that particular piece, but in the New Testament, um, that I would also encourage you to go to, because even though the Bible doesn't necessarily hit on specifically, hey, here's what a nuclear family should look like. Here's what it looks like to have mom and dad and, and go across. What the Bible does talk about a lot is how we should treat one another, how we should love one another. And in Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church there, and, and he's trying to put together an entire kind of package of how they should respond, how they should live by the Holy Spirit, and how they should treat one another. And he says it this way in Ephesians 5, 21. He says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he's going to spend the next, the rest of that chapter and the beginning of the next kind of breaking down some individual roles as to what that looks like. But what he means by that is you're going to respect, love, and be with one another, not because the other person deserves it, not because of who they are or what they've done, but out of reverence for who Christ is. As a matter of fact, he says it in the next verse kind of this way, and I like the, the little bit of a, the phrasing there. He says, for wives, this meant submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In other words, not because of who he is, not because of what he's done, but you're going to submit to him because of like who Christ is. And he even reiterates that in kind of the same similar way in the next set of verses when he talks to husbands. And he says that husbands, you are the head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church. And then he gives the explanation. Oh, by the way, who is Christ and what did he do for the church? He gave his literal body up for it and sacrificed himself for the betterment of the church in just the same way the husband should... Submit, they should sacrifice themselves for their wives. And then he even begins to talk about with children and how they should respect their parents. And this idea of as unto the Lord gets repeated multiple different times within the New Testament. And so what should we do? Man, part of it is that we should live within our families as unto the Lord. Not necessarily because they deserve it. Maybe they do. Maybe some of you have got some great families and some great family connections. And, man, it is, it is easy to see how God has blessed you with that lineage. And I would just say, if that is true, this season you need to stop and spend some time and thank God for them. But I know that some of you don't. And, and your family is, is not connected. And the respect that we give or the love that we give is not really because who they are or what they deserve. It's because of who God is and what, he, and what he has done. And so, what we say and what we do should be as unto the Lord. Because here's the other piece of it. Every single one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ have been called to make disciples. 
the greatest opportunity for you to make disciples is going to be with people who are closest to you. So part of you making disciples is going to be amongst your family. It ought to be. For some reason, I, I'm the same way. I think that we go and make disciples in other places or in other things, but when it comes to home, maybe that's a little bit different. And that's not true. And the Bible doesn't teach that at all. Matter of fact, it's very clear on wherever you're at and wherever, whatever you're doing. And the truth of it is that your greatest opportunity to make disciples are going to be with those people who are around you. So yes, your family, yes, your neighbors, yes, the people who are your coworkers and the people who are close to you. But, but a lot of times your family is going to be with you probably longer than any friendship, longer than any set of coworkers, which is also difficult. I know, because you can't hide from them. <laughs> and they get to really know you. And they remember your past. And they remember what you used to do or what you used to act like. But you also have the ability to show the grace and love of Jesus Christ. I want to share with you just a few little, little prayers. And we'll move really quickly through this. But kind of almost even kind of using the uh, Psalm 127, some things possibly for you to take away from here. So if you'd like to take notes... I'd encourage you to, to write a few of these down, and, and I'll just give you the references, and you'll have to go back and pull them open yourself. But one of them is kind of even the, the idea of the prayer of Nehemiah. He had an opportunity, you know, right, to build, rebuild a wall around Jerusalem. Did it in a remarkable time and remarkable fashion. Nehemiah is someone who very much understood that unless God helps build this. Now, Nehemiah very much, there's a lot of practicalities we learn from the book of Nehemiah. That he, he did, but, but Nehemiah understood that unless, unless God builds this, it ain't coming together. Unless God stirs in the heart of people, in the heart of kings, in the heart of different, like it's not going to come together. The same thing's true with my family and your family. But there's a prayer that I think we can kind of steal from Nehemiah that can very much be prayed even for our own families. And so... I'd almost say that even if your family, if you feel as if your family is kind of spiritually scattered, maybe just kind of all over the place, maybe geographically they're close, maybe geographically they're far away, but you're trying to figure out how can we come back to where we ought to be. Here's the prayer from Nehemiah in Nehemiah 1, 5. It says, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly not by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations you have gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you have told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place that I have chosen for my name to be honored. And so... Part of that meant that they were going to be coming back to Jerusalem, but part of what I also said earlier about the songs of ascent and them going to Jerusalem, it's not really 
it's not only just about a geographic location, but it's more about being in the presence of God. And nothing's going to build your family better than being in the presence of God. And so there's another prayer, even the prayer kind of of Jesus when we talk about the idea of protection. This is one that has always been remarkable to me because Jesus' kind of last statement in this prayer in John 17. It says, Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. You want your family to be close and united? During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name that you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except for the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. That's a different sermon. Um, (laughs) Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in the world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have been, gi- I have been given them your word. And the world hates them because they, are, they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. I've always thought that was a remarkable prayer that Jesus turns and says, like, I'm not asking you to take them out of this. It's a mess. The world hates them. They're going, the world's going to hate them. They're not going to fit in here. But I'm not asking you to take them away. Matter of fact, Jesus knew that they needed to be there. That the, the guys that he was pouring into, the people he was pouring into, they were literally the hope of the world. And so not to take them out, but to please give them the protection. And then to bring it even closer maybe to the, the season that we're in, you have the prayer of Mary. Mary, she has just received the heaviest news. In one sense, I am sure just overjoyed, and we see it kind of here, with over just an incredible amount of joy, but also, most likely as a teenager, she is terrified and has no clue what it's going to take or where it's going to take her. And so Mary comes and she spends some time with her family and Elizabeth and then she writes a song of great joy and this is what it says in Luke 1 46 and 55 it says oh my soul praises the Lord how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he took notice of his lowly servant girl and from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one is holy he has done great things for me he shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him his mighty arm has done tremendous things he has scattered the proud and the haughty ones he has brought down the princes from their thrones and exalted the humble he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands he has helped his servant israel and remembered to be merciful he has made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. In other words, God is faithful. And Mary found this great joy in and amongst family. And being able to celebrate with there with Elizabeth and be able to spend some time and find comfort, probably even getting her feet underneath her and the reality of what's taking place in her life. Family can be a great thing. Family can be 
man, something that you can just people get you and understand you better than maybe anyone else in the world. I know sometimes it can be difficult as well. But the, the point is that whether if your family has great dysfunction or if you've got some people in your family that, man, you find great comfort in, either one, the right perspective is that God is first. And when God is truly first in our hearts and our lives and we pursue him and follow him, and I think that that starts off with an individual decision. It sure would be nice if your entire immediate family would say, yes, we're all in this together and we're going to move forward. Just like in any other group, you know, it sure would be nice if a whole group of college students would come together and say, hey, we're all in this together. Make the decision. It makes things a lot easier. But the truth of the matter, until an individual says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pursue after Christ. I'm going to follow him. First. Then the group can't actually come together. And so it starts off with you in your heart and your life saying, I am going to follow after Christ. And yes, Lord, please help build my family. Lord, please help me, help me to build a loving family. Help me be a part of a loving family. God, I, I want grandkids that are excited to come back. I, we want our children to feel at home here. But the truth of the matter is until we follow after Jesus Christ first, until we pursue him in and amongst our family and treat our family as unto the Lord, it's hard for all the rest of it to come together. And I would even say that even if you can build a, what you think might look like the picture-perfect family, it's probably only for a moment. And the harsh reality is that if we do it outside of the power of God, goes back to the Psalm 127. It's a wasted time. It's useless. It's not going to come together. But when we put Christ first and allow him to lead, guide us, direct us, and be at work within our homes, then the families have an opportunity to come together. And we put them in, our, in the right perspective.